And today we have a remarkable text. Uh, I want us to look at what the big deal about Christmas is. You know, over 2,000 years ago, God came to earth. And that's the miracle of Christmas. And some of you would say, wait a second, God, I thought we were talking about Jesus here. You know, well, isn't it his birthday? Yes, but Jesus is God. He said it himself. The Bible says that he's God and that he proved it by dying on the cross and then being resurrected three days later. Take out your study notes and I put the Colossians text here from the New Living Translation and listen as I read. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the one through whom God created everything in heaven and earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. Kings, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. Everything has been created through him and for him. And so the Bible says that Jesus Christ didn't start in a stable We're not celebrating the beginning of Jesus Christ at Christmas. What we're celebrating is the day that God came to earth. A few weeks ago, Nate told us that a lot of people say, you know, I believe that Jesus was a good man. Uh, You know, or I even believe that he was a great teacher. But Nate said, there's only one problem with that. Jesus never claimed to be a good man. He claimed to be God. Now, if I was to say to you, "I'm, I'm a good man, some of you would probably say, well, you're a pretty good guy, you know. If I were to say to you, I'm a pretty good teacher, some of you would say, mm, maybe, maybe not. But if all of a sudden I stood up here and I said, I'm God and all of you need to follow me, I think that would change the whole agenda, wouldn't it? I mean, all of a sudden you'd either have to accept that and say, yes, Bill is God and I'm going to follow him. Or Bill's had a breakdown. <laughs> or he's trying to con us. I can't be a good teacher and claim to be God at the same time. Jesus did make that claim. In John 10.30, Jesus says, the Father and I are one. And this is the miracle of Christmas, that it was God himself who came to earth. And that's why we celebrate it. And that's why it's such a big deal. You know, it's not only that he came to earth, but it's how he came. He came in the, in, uh, to become one of us, like one of us. Philippians 2.6 reads this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took the humble position of a slave, one translation says a servant, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, think of what he could have done in coming to earth. I mean, thunder, lightning, big... Big uh, letters in the sky. I don't know if you were God, how you would come, but I don't think I'd come as a baby. You know, He came the same way that you and I came into this world. He came in the way that we could understand Him. And that's what God is like. The Bible says He grew like we did. The Bible says He was tempted like we are. That He had some needs and some drives and some desires and some problems and some pressures in His life. And the reason that he went through it was so that we, he could relate to us. You know, no matter what you're going through today, God understands because he's been there. The Bible says he suffered like we did. He experienced real pain. There were times when Jesus was lonely. There was times when he was fatigued or under pressure or disappointed or misunderstood. 
There were times when people didn't treat him right and they criticized him. He understands all that. He's, and here's the point. God not only came to earth as a man, he came as a human being so that he can understand us and so that we could understand him. You know, John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And that's the miracle of Christmas. I don't know if you've ever had one of those quiet moments when the world is kind of crashing in on you and you ask that question, you know, uh, what am I doing here? Is there really any purpose to this? You know, uh, is there significance to my life? Where am I going? You know, is there a God? And if there is, does he really care about me? Well, you're in good company because... That makes you a spiritual seeker this morning. You have a lot in common with a group of people who, at that very first Christmas, uh, did the same thing. They sought after the truth. Now, we don't know how many there actually were. The Bible doesn't say we have three on our coffee tables, because that's about all that will fit. And I think, uh, uh, you know, gold, frankincense, and myrrh was the other thing. That, but, but many biblical scholars think there could have been scores of, of these Babylonian wise men who came, and they might have come with military escorts. And uh, there's no wonder that when they came to Jerusalem to King Herod and said, where is he who is to be born the king of the Jews? It says that, that uh, uh, in the Greek it's the word agitated. He, it's like a washing machine. Herod was so nervous. And it would hardly seem that three guys on camels would make him nervous, but maybe this whole regiment is what really contributed to, to his fear. What we do know about these wise men is, is not a whole lot, but I want to try to maybe fill in the rest of the story, a la Paul Harvey, for a second. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Israel was taken captive by Babylon and they brought, it's called the Babylonian captivity, and they... They brought these Jews into Babylon, and it says in Daniel chapter 1 that they wanted to take young men from Israel without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And, he, and they were to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And three or four guys that we're really familiar with is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Meshach, Yershach, and a bungalow. And then, uh, and then the other guy was Daniel. And listen to what it says. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So, just to familiarize you again with the story, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he called the wise men of Babylon to come and to interpret his dreams. The Magi, they were called. And so they come in and they say, you know, old king, live forever. He said, he said, tell us your dream and we'll interpret it for you. And he says, well, if you're really wise men, you tell me the dream and then you interpret it. And they said, there's not anybody in the whole land who can do that. And so he decided to put all the magi to death. Well, of course, Daniel hears about this. And Daniel says, well, go tell the king that, you know, I'll, I'll do it for him. And so he goes and he interprets the dream for the king, tells him what the dream was and he interprets it. And listen to this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, and he paid him honor, and he ordered that an offering of incense be presented to him. I want you to just remember those two things. He fell prostrate before him, and he brought 
he gave him uh, incense as a gift. A king bowing. And then the king placed Daniel in a high position, and he lavished many gifts on him, and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and he placed him in charge of all the wise men. So five or six hundred years before the birth of Christ, God had his way of getting his man in position that here's Daniel, the head of all the wise men in Babylon. He's giving them the training. By the way, the training of a wise man, they were called the kingmakers. And it was said that you couldn't be the king in Babylon until you'd had the training of a wise man or the education of a, of a magi. And so now you can understand when the kingmakers come to King Herod, who is not a Jew himself, and say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Here are the kingmakers coming to make somebody a king. You can see more of his threat and his fear. But, um, uh, but here God gets his man in position, and he's training them. Now, there is a scripture in Job about this star. And someday we'll go into it, spend more time in the Old Testament. But the point is that these wise men now come. And uh, if you want to find God, I think you'll need to do the same three things that these, these wise men did. First of all, they sought after the truth. They took it seriously and they went after it. And there's a big difference between seeking and speculating. You know, speculators are people who say, well, I think God is a lot like, or my idea of God is, or I imagine God to be. Well, who set you up as the authority? You know, just because you think something doesn't make it true. And there's a difference between speculation and seeking something. Speculators just guess or they conjecture, but, but uh, your guess is as good as mine. But seekers are people who diligently seek out the truth and they search for the answers. And they don't just make assumptions about things. And they take the time and the effort to find truth. And that's what the wise men did. Look at Matthew 2.1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And genuine seekers watch what's happening in the world. They, they're alert. They're observant. They saw a star that was different in the sky. And genuine seekers ask questions. They said, What do you think this means? And they ask around, what's this a sign of? Where is it? Where do we go? And genuine seekers do whatever they can to find the answer. You know, if you're a genuine seeker, I want to encourage you to do that. It's ironic to me that when Jesus was born, the religious center of Jerusalem was only six miles away from Bethlehem, and not one religious leader made the six-mile trip. But here these guys traveled, most scholars believe, close to a thousand miles at least to come to be there. In fact, it took months. In fact, by the way, I don't want to disillusion anybody, but the wise men did not show up the night of Jesus' birth. I was talking to one guy. He told me that in their family, they put the wise men at the other end of the living room to signify that they're on the way. <laughs> but they haven't arrived yet. You know. And, and some of the clues that we have about this is, first of all, that when Herod orders all the babies two years of age and under to be killed, that's when his speculation of when Christ had been actually born, when the, when the, when the uh, wise men arrive and want to find out where he is. The second thing is it says that when they arrived at his house, and so obviously Mary and Joseph have now situated from the stable. But... Uh, I think the problem with many of us today is we don't want to take the time to find out the truth. 
We don't have the serious commitment of really searching out the facts. And it's a tragedy to go through life never figuring out, why am I here? That's a wasted life. When you feel unfulfilled, and when you're feeling like I really don't matter, and why put forth the effort? Maybe you're unsatisfied or unfulfilled. Maybe you're confused about life. That might be God stirring up a desire in your life to seek Him. You know, And only God can fill that God-shaped emptiness. And so the good news is that while you're trying to search for God, God wants you to get to know Him. And He's interested and He wants to have that relationship. In fact, notice Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. So He wants us to know Him. And if you're here this morning and you really want to know the truth and you want to know God, congratulations, because God loves seekers. God wants to know you. He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to follow Him. And He wants you to have a relationship with Him. And that's what Christmas is all about. The essence of Christianity is a relationship. And when you grasp that fact, that it's not rules and regulations, I think you're going to begin to enjoy Christmas. So enjoy the fact that God's already taken the first step. He gives you a sign. And He always gives genuine seekers a sign. He doesn't leave you out there on your own. You know, in the wise men's case, the guide was a star. And the Bible says that it led them to Jerusalem and then ultimately down south to, to Bethlehem. And that then it settled right over the house where Mary and Joseph were. All throughout history, God has provided different kinds of instruments or uh, divine guides to get us to Christ. He rewards genuine seekers with travel guides. And I would say that chances are that every one of you has a star in your life. Maybe one right now, maybe in your past. You just might not have recognized it, but God has put somebody or something in your life to bring you to Him. You know, the star might have been a book that you read. It might have been a person that you know. It might have been an experience that you've had. It might be some event. It could have been a church. You know, I have no doubt that God has brought people across your path in order to be a travel guide to get you to Christ. It might be a believing parent. It might be a husband or a wife who's a believer. Maybe it was a neighbor or a friend or someone or work or could have even been a child. You know, but God doesn't leave genuine seekers without travel guides. So what's the star in your life? And I think there's one of three possible responses to that. Maybe God's trying to talk to you and he's trying to guide you. And you can react in fear like Herod did. You know, or you can react like the religious leaders of Jerusalem did. And they were totally indifferent and apathetic to it. Or you could respond like the wise men did. And you know what they did? They celebrated they rejoiced. They experienced great joy in being led to God. And look at uh, this scripture here, Matthew 2.10. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. The golfer's Bible says they had a hole in one. Uh, they were ecstatic. They were overwhelmed, you know. And, and if you're a believer, I just want to challenge you that sometime between now and Christmas, take time to thank God for the stars that have been a part of your life. For those people who have helped you find or led you to the Savior, rejoice for those people that God has put in your life. And if you're a seeker, I just want to say to you this morning, you're still on the way, so use the star, the people or the events. The, take advantage even of this church and, and, and let those stars help lead you to Christ. And by the way, this book, the Bible, 
is God's word, and it's a great start to, uh, to lead people to Christ. It answers all the basic questions of life. The angel said in Luke 2, The angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. But you know, the question is, saved from what? What does that mean? I think it means that God has a gift for you this Christmas. It's Jesus Christ, his son. And he says, I want to give you forgiveness for everything that you've done wrong in the past. And I want to give you purpose and power to live for today. And I want to give you a security of knowing that you have a home in heaven and that's where you're going to spend eternity. And you're never going to get a better Christmas gift than that. Forgiveness for the past, help for the present, and security for the future. And that's called salvation. And that's the good news. That's God's gift to you. You know, most people don't live. They just exist. They don't enjoy life. They endure it. And this Christmas, I think God invites you to not only seek the truth, but to experience the joy that's a part of life. And finally, what makes this baby different from any other? I think there are probably hundreds of babies that were born around the world that night. But why do we split history you know, over the birth of this one baby, A.D. and B.C. You know, what makes him so different? Well, you've got to recognize the gift. You know, we're right back to where we started in Colossians chapter 1. Christ is God. The, that baby made you. I love that line that Liz just sung. Did you know that when you kissed your baby, you were kissing the very face of God? You know, C.S. Lewis said, that God becoming a man would be like you or me becoming a snail. You know? Why do we give gifts at Christmas? Because it was God's idea. He gave the first Christmas gift. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his son. And in order to enjoy Christmas gifts, you've got to open them. And uh, I hope you'll recognize the gift and, the, and that you'll also receive it. Uh, I know some people who celebrate Christmas every year. They put up lights, they put up trees, they sing Christmas carols, they, they go to church, they do all the things at Christmas, but they've never received the gift. And some of you recognize the gift, but you've never received Him fully into your life. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Maybe some of you haven't even recognized it yet. And this Christmas, I hope you'll ask yourself the important questions. What child is this? Was it really God? Was Jesus really who he claimed to be? So how do you know the wise men recognized the gift? We know because of the way they reacted when they saw the baby, and we know because of the presence that they gave. The Bible says in Matthew 2.11, After coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. I don't know when the last time was that you bowed down and worshipped a baby, but this was no ordinary infant. And it says, then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They recognized him as God and they were filled with awe. And the Bible says that they fell on their knees. They prostrated themselves and they worshipped him for the unbelievable way that God had come to earth by putting himself in this tiny baby. And, that, and, that, and, and then as he grew up, just like us, he experienced all that we do. And we can relate to him because he showed us how much he loved us. 
sincere investigation turned into sacrificial adoration by these wise men. They didn't worship the star, and they didn't worship Joseph, and they didn't worship Mary. They bowed before the baby because Jesus is the only one who's worthy of our adoration. And then it says they brought him gifts. One, one preschooler says the maggots brought gifts. Uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Smurfs, I think. <laughs> I think that's what he said, the gold, frankenstein, and, and smurfs. But, uh, but even the gifts that the wise men brought tell us who Jesus was. In those days, gold is the gift that was always given to a king. It represents royalty. It was the most precious metal. Still is. You know. And in giving the gift of gold, they were saying this baby is our king. And in giving the rare and expensive frankincense, they were giving the incense that was burned in the temple to worship God. He is worthy of our worship. And then myrrh was an odd gift for a baby. It was a spice in the ancient world that was used to embalm dead bodies. Could it be that they actually recognized that he was not only their king, that he was not only God, but that he was also the Savior who was going to die for us? His sacrificed, sacrificial life was, uh, was what would save us. So you might say that the ultimate spirit of Christmas is worship. And we realize in a sense, because we know that God has come to earth, he became a human being, I think it's mind-boggling, but that he is worthy of our worship. So this Christmas, I want to invite you to recognize the gift and to receive it, just like the wise men did, and then you'll be wise too. And I don't think there's anything wrong with being a seeker. We all start out that way. But at some point, you have to step across the line. The wise men became seekers, but they left as believers. And their investigation turned into sacrificial adoration, and it resulted in a personal transformation. They were changed. And you know the Bible says in Matthew that they went home a different way. Now, we know that they went home a different way geographically, because they had been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. But I think they went home a different way because they were changed people. You can't come into an encounter with Jesus Christ, the living God and Savior, and experience His unconditional love and forgiveness and remain unchanged. Christmas is essentially a birthday party. Whoever heard of a birthday party where everybody gives each other gifts except for the birthday boy? You know, that would be a strange birthday. And since it's Jesus' birthday, what are you going to give Him for His birthday? What do you give a guy who's got everything? What do you give to God? Well, the fact is God doesn't have everything. God doesn't have your life unless you give it to him. God doesn't have your trust unless you give it to him. God doesn't have your worship unless you give it to him. God doesn't have your service unless you give it to him. God doesn't have your abilities or your time unless you give it to him. God doesn't have you unless you give it to him. So I want to encourage you to give your life to Christ as your gift this Christmas. Let's pray together. Hey, as we're bowed in an attitude of prayer, I know some of you have made a decision to begin a relationship with Christ at some point in your life, but you've lost that first love. You just, your heart isn't warm to Christ. You know Him, but He's not leading you. And you've been basically leading yourself, and as a result, you know how frustrating that is. You know the problems and the stress that come into your life when you try to play God. 
for yourself, and it just doesn't work. And I think God's word to you is this. My arms are open. Come back to me. And maybe you're a genuine seeker today, and you'd like to open your heart and receive this gift of Christ. And in just a minute, I'm going to pray a seeker's prayer. And if you're ready to pray this in your mind, it doesn't matter the words that you say. What matters is your heart. He hears your thoughts. So maybe quietly where you're sitting, you just say, Dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. I knew something was missing in my life. I just didn't know it was you. Thank you for seeking me even when I was ignoring you. God, I want to know the truth about you and about life. Thank you for coming at Christmas. Jesus, I want to get to know you, and I don't understand it all, but I want a relationship with you. And as much as I know now, and as much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life. Please forgive me for all that's wrong in me. I accept your gift of forgiveness, and I accept your gift of peace of mind, and I accept your gift of eternal life, and I accept your gift of purpose for my life. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.